The rest of you, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy. And as we begin, hopefully last week or Christmas Eve or today, you will grab one of these 31-day prayer calendars and start with us this Saturday coming up. Use this just in your daily time with the Lord to pray for Redeemer Community Church. Please start with us this Saturday as we will be praying that God will make us a praying people. And then next Sunday evening, right here from five to six o'clock, we're gonna gather to pray and to seek God's face together for the good of our church. Each of the Sundays in January, we'll be gathering from five to six o'clock and hope all of you will join us. You've probably heard me say before, um, if, if I had to take all of the books of the Bible and if I had to choose one um, and only one that I could have for the rest of my life, I think I would be forced to choose Romans. I say forced, it's the granddaddy of them all. It's Romans. But if you pushed me a little bit further and said, yeah, Mitch, but really, 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 what is your favorite book of the Bible? It would be 2 Timothy. Maybe it's because it's just four short chapters long, right? I like the shorter ones. You can uh, make your way through them quicker and get a handle on the whole a little bit quicker. But 2 Timothy has been a favorite of mine for a long, long, long time. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. This is his last one. When I think about it, I think it's kind of a manly book. Maybe that's part of the reason I like it. It it seems to me it is a father writing to his son. It's a moving book. It's the last of Paul's letters, and he knows that he's about to die. He'll say in chapter 4, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He knows that it won't be long before he will die for his faithfulness to Jesus. Death is in the air. And I think lonely is a bit too strong of a word, but in chapter four, he's urging Timothy to come to him because Crescens Having lo- or Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Crescens has gone over here. Titus has gone over here. He says, only Luke is with me. And so he's encouraging Timothy to come and to bring Mark with him. You get a sense that Paul knows his time on earth is not for long. And he really, really wants to see these men. And is motivational. Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Retain the standard of sound words. Guard the treasure that's been entrusted to you. Entrust to faithful men the things that I've entrusted to you. Continue in the things that you've learned. Preach the word. Fulfill your ministry over and over and over again in these four short chapters. We are motivated to be faithful to Jesus. Paul's final letter. We say it often about the great commission of Christ that last words are lasting words. Well, here are the last words of the Apostle Paul, at least those that we have recorded. We're going to move through the whole book 
this morning, and so we'll be here for a few hours to get settled in. No, 2021 is coming to an end. 2022 is right around the corner. And as we head into 2022, may these four things, by the grace of God, be true of us all. Chapter one, we're gonna see courage. Chapter two, faithfulness. Chapter three, perseverance. Chapter four, expectancy. So we are gonna move fast. In chapter one, verse one, you see there Paul, verse two, to Timothy, my beloved son. And he longs to see him. In verse three, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Paul is in prison in Rome. He had been arrested, we think, in Troas, and it may be that the last time when Paul and Timothy were together, maybe when Paul was being taken away, the last thing he can remember in Timothy's eyes are tears. I recall your tears. I long to see you. For I'm mindful of your sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, I'm sure that it's in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Reading between the lines, Timothy, it appears, was a timid man. Fearful. He was serving Christ in Ephesus. He was leading the churches there and it was hard, it was difficult. And like so many of us, in a difficult, hard circumstance, we can grow timid and fearful. But you'll see in verse eight, and following through the rest of chapter one, Paul is going to call him to not be ashamed. Show you something three times over and ask, what do you think chapter one's about? Look at verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Look at verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Look at verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. What do you think chapter one's about? Don't be ashamed of Christ and his gospel. There are costs to serving Jesus and being faithful to him, right? Certainly there's a whole lot of spiritual blessing that comes to us as followers of Jesus. And we talk about those ad nauseum, rightfully so, forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption and the spirit and being grafted into the body of Christ and the promises of eternal life and all the wonderful spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. But to trust in him and to follow him can also come with some costs. The world does not love Christ. The world does not love the gospel. The world does not love Christians and can make it hard and difficult. And the temptation for all of us is to go quiet 
to not live our Christian lives with courage, but rather to be ashamed of associating with Christ and his ways. And so Paul is calling upon us, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 12, for this reason I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I've believed, I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And then again, down in verse 16, it's in verse 15 and following, I love that little paragraph because it's, if, it's as if Paul is saying, Timothy, be like Onesiphorus. And he sets it up in verse 15 to say, don't be like these guys. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I feel so bad for those guys. I mean, they get enshrined, their names enshrined in scripture for 2,000 years. Because when the going got tough, they turned away from Paul. And as the apostle of Christ, they turned away from the gospel. Timidity got the best of them. Fear got the best of them. But in verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. We're not sure about this, but most believe that Onesiphorus left Ephesus, traveled all the way to Rome, knowing that Paul was in prison there, searched him out, didn't know exactly where to find him. Maybe he, he went and found where the house churches were and, hey, can you guys tell me where Paul is? And they said, well, Onesiphorus, we can tell you where he is. They've got him in a hole over there and he's awaiting death. But you probably don't want to go over there because if you do, they're liable to get you too. I'm not ashamed of his chains. And most believe that Onesiphorus obviously found him and refreshed him. That's a great picture. What did he do? He probably brought him some food. Maybe brought him a blanket. Sat and visited with him through the hole in the ground. Told him some jokes. Visited with him. But because Paul uses this language, the Lord grant mercy to the house of, to his wife and kids, that he too had lost his life because of his faithfulness to the gospel and his unwillingness to be ashamed of the gospel and of Paul, his prisoner. Timothy, be like him. Don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Onesiphorus was not ashamed. Chapter two, verse one. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So brothers and sisters, as we head into 2022, let's serve Christ with courage despite what it might cost us. But along with courage, I think faithfulness could sum up chapter two. In verse two, Paul gives this broad um, command towards a ministry of multiplication. Verse two, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's the classic discipleship verse. Timothy, I have taught you the gospel and its attendant truths. I have entrusted to you the faith. Now you take what I've entrusted to you and find some faithful men and entrust it to them who themselves will then entrust it to others. Four generations there from Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others also. But to do so, you're going to have to be faithful. And I follow John Stott here. He believes that the chapter hangs, if you will, on these six images of faithfulness. You see the first one in verse three, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. It may be hard to sum up in a word what this is after. Some say single-mindedness. Others say dedication. Paul talks about no soldier in active service entangles himself. He's concentrated. She's concentrated upon the task at hand. There are distractions galore for you and me. 2022 will be filled with them. 21st century America is just the world that we live in. My family, we've been watching alone over the Christmas break. Some of you all know what that is. They take 10 participants, they put them in Arctic Alaska all by themselves. Not 10 together, but each one has a five-mile deal up in Arctic Alaska and they have to stay there for 100 days, and if they do, they win a million dollars. There are no distractions. They are concentrated on shelter and on food. Shelter from the elements and the animals, and food, particularly fatty food, if they can get their hands on it. They don't entangle themselves in a whole lot of other stuff. All of their focus is zeroed in. But not just a good soldier, look in verse five, an athlete. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Obedience. The athlete, if he was going to win the prize, he had to compete according to the rules. And there is a a New Testament ethic, we might say, called the law of Christ. We have been saved, forgiven of all of our sins, and the Spirit of God has been gifted to us to help us fulfill the law of Christ to live in obedience to him. And so this could be a general call towards Timothy and all of us to live our lives in the power of the Spirit according to the New Testament ethic 
of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and on and on and on and on. Not to live the life that says, oh, I'm forgiven of all that I've done, then I can go and live as I please. Not at all. But to live in such a way that says, goodness, what a treasure that I have been forgiven of all of my sins and have the Spirit of God to help me walk in obedience to him. It could also be a little more zeroed in that Timothy and all of us who serve Christ and whether we're teaching a Sunday school class or discipling someone over a cup of coffee, We don't win the prize unless we compete according to the rules. It could be general in terms of all of the obedience to the New Testament commands, or it could be more specific that we compete according to the rules. In our ministry, we do it through prayer and we do it through the teaching of the word of God. It's not simply a ministry of presence where we just show up and hope things go well, but we show up to minister the word of God to the people of God in the power of God's spirit through prayer. Timothy, be like a good soldier, single-minded, dedicated to the task. Be like an athlete, obedient to Jesus. Here's another, verse six. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Hard Working. Some of you all grew up on farms and you know that's the word. It is not easy work. My mama grew up on a dairy farm in southern Mississippi. And so I didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but I spent several weeks every summer and spent time over Christmas and spring breaks. And one of the things I can remember about my papa, and then after he died, my uncle was also a dairy farmer, is that it was every day, no matter what. It could be freezing outside, it could be like hurricane coming through. But the cows gotta be milked. And they gotta be milked twice a day. Every day. And, of course, more agrarian type of farming takes probably even more work than that. The tilling of the ground, the planting, the fertilizing, the working of the land, and then the praying for rain, and then the wait. It's hard, long, sweaty work. The fourth image is over there in verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So we've said single-mindedness or dedication, obedience, hard work, and maybe here accuracy. That the workman here is a picture of a leather worker accurately handling the word of truth, literally cutting it straight. 
So the encouragement to me and to all of us who minister the word of God to others is to do our best. That word be diligent, spudazo in the Greek means be diligent, work hard, do your best to, if you will, get it straight so that we can give it straight. To study God's word faithfully. The next is a clean vessel in verse 20. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. You know, at our house, we have some vessels that we use to serve dinner, and we have some vessels we use to feed the dog, right? Some are vessels for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. And of course, we have to figure out what are these things that Paul is referring to in context most believe what he has in mind, the error that is taught by the false teachers in the paragraph right in front. Avoid, in verse 16, avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus. There's another two guys who Paul has enshrined. Men who've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. If any man cleanses himself from these things, the error of false teachers and the wickedness, the sin that they promote. In God's house, if you will, in, in Christendom, among the professing church, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And in context, the vessels of dishonor are false teachers who teach error and lead people into sin. And the vessels of honor are those who cleanse themselves from those things and teach the truth and encourage godliness. Be that way, Timothy. Be a vessel of honor. He'll be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And so in a word, maybe purity, obedience or single-mindedness or dedication, obedience, hard work, accuracy, purity, purity of doctrine, purity of life. And then finally, gentleness. The final Image, if you will, is that of a bondservant in verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his Will. So certainly the minister of the gospel, you and I, as we minister the word of God, we are to be bold, 
but we're to be gentle as well. Paul will say it over there in chapter four, verse two, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So chapter one is a call to courage. I think chapter two is a call to faithfulness. Take the gospel and the truths that have been entrusted to you and teach them to others. Maybe that's through personal evangelism that you'll do in 2022, or maybe you'll teach one of our kids' classrooms, or maybe you'll lead a group on Wednesday nights with our students, or maybe you'll teach or lead one of our community groups, or maybe you'll disciple someone over a cup of coffee every Thursday morning. Whatever it might be, that ministry where you're taking what's been entrusted to you and entrusting it to others, go for it. Be like a soldier and an athlete and a farmer and a workman and a clean vessel and the Lord's bondservant. Do it with dedication, with obedience, with hard work, accuracy, purity of doctrine and life, and with gentleness and patience. Chapter three. As you and I head into 2022 and seek to serve Christ, let's do so with perseverance. Despite the context we might find ourselves in, look at chapter three, verse one. Realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And according to the New Testament, we, all, we live in the last days. Those days started in the days of Paul and will continue until the coming of Christ. But they will be difficult times, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness even though they have denied its power. In those days and in ours, the world in which you and I live does not love the ways of Christ but they live and tolerate and even celebrate ungodliness and unrighteousness. There may be a little hint here that Timothy was hopeful, as hard as it was there in Ephesus, that if he would just wait it out a little bit, things would get better. His timidity was maybe getting the best of him. His fear was getting the best of him. So maybe he was taking a step back. Maybe he was being a little bit quiet. And maybe he's thinking, it'll blow over. And things will get easier. And maybe chapter 3 is a call to Timothy to say, no, don't count on it. Difficult times will come. And in fact, down in verse 13 Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what's Timothy to do in this kind of context? 
Pick it up in verse 10. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Timothy, you have been so faithful. Ever since I picked you up on that second missionary journey, you have been right by my side. And you have followed me. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance. You were there. You were faithful to me and faithful to Christ in the midst of it. And remember, Paul has in mind that he's about to pass off the scene and, and Timothy's going to be left. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil men will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here it is, verse 14. You, however, in contrast to evil men, in contrast to all that we read in verse 2, all the way through verse 5, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. Continue. One other guy translated it, keep at it. New Testament commentator said this, keep abiding in the things you've learned and become convinced of, that phrase, commands both doctrinal and behavioral perseverance in the truth of the gospel. When the whole world is going crazy, Timothy, and proceeding even from bad to worse, you, however, Keep at it. You, however, persevere in the doctrinal truth and the behavioral way of life. Stick to the truth of the scripture and the life of obedience to Jesus. Continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, your mother Lois, your grandmother Eunice, and I have taught you the ways of God. Continue in them because all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2022 may be just as hard as 2021. No telling what's coming. I think we can probably anticipate, though, a whole lot of ungodliness going on. What are you and I supposed to do? Continue. Keep at it. Persevere. Right here. Finally, so we've said courage, faithfulness, perseverance. I love this one, chapter four, expectancy. 
It's the last paragraph or the last chapter that we have from the Apostle Paul. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and kingdom. So he has in mind the second coming of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom over all things and the judgment that will come with him. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from the truth. They'll turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Timothy, I'm done. You fulfill your ministry because my death is just around the corner. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I love that little phrase at the end of that, because you think, sure, Paul, you're going to get that reward. And he says, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This reward, this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to Paul, is available to all of God's children. He'll go on and we'll just read it here, but he'll, he'll come back. Well, I'll show you. Make every effort to come to me soon. This adds weight because Paul knows he will soon die. He wants to see Timothy. For Demas, having loved his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me. But all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Probably, this is Paul's second imprisonment in Rome, and he is talking about um, going before the authorities not, not, not too long ago. And no one supported him. Nobody came and stood by him and said, I'm with him. 
and he's a good man. And he's falsely accused and, and, and whatever. It might, he says, may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Paul said, nobody stood with me, but the Lord was right there with me. And I was able to proclaim the gospel there in Rome. And then he said, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. He probably means by that his death did not come at that time before the judge. And they sent him back to his hole. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And so Paul's looking ahead, knowing he's about to die. And whether he knew this, I don't know. But the strong tradition tells us they took him outside the city walls of Rome and they chopped his head off. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Even beheading Paul? Oh, sure. I mean, the, the, the second that the, the, that the scabbard comes down, I'm in the presence of Jesus. Of course he will deliver me from every evil deed, even beheading. And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Expectancy. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul's saying, you and I, as children of God, can say the same thing. And we too can say that the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. We can live with that kind of expectancy, even in the face of death. Death is, it's like the final deal that every competing philosophy and religion of the world has to deal with. What are you going to do with death? I forget his name. Luke Ferry, I think was his name. He's not a Christian, but he wrote a book called the Brief, A Brief History of Thought. And it's a thin little book. I like them when they're thin. And he just traced the major philosophies throughout the last 3,000 years. And one of the things he says must be dealt with and is at the center of them all is death. Because it stares in the face of every human. I'm not going to live forever. I'm going to die. And what does your system say about it? We know what Christianity says about it. Death is defeated. Jesus, our Savior, died and then defeated death. He rose again and is alive forevermore. And everyone who is united to him will experience the same thing that though we die, we will one day rise and we will live forevermore. 
Can I hear an amen? Amen. So, in 2022, may God give you and me grace to live courageously and faithfully with perseverance and maybe better word than expectancy is confidence. Expectancy. That as I live for Christ, the expectation is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award the crown of righteousness upon us all. Maybe you've heard me say this before. If I had to sum up 2 Timothy in one word, it's stick. Some of you ran track back in the day, and you ran a 4 by 100 meter relay or 4 by 400 meter relay, and you know that the first guy takes the baton, the gun sounds, and he takes off running, and when his leg is finished, the next guy starts running, and he says, stick. And he reaches out the baton, and the next guy, when he hears him say stick, he reaches back, and he takes it. And he runs his leg of the race, and then he says stick. And the next guy reaches back, stick. Paul's about to die. And I think he's saying to Timothy, stick. You, however, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry for the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. It's your turn to run, Timothy. And Timothy took it. And Timothy ran. And along the way, he said, stick. And for 2,000 years now, stick, stick, stick. And somewhere along the way, somebody yelled, stick to you. They shared the good news of the gospel. And by the power of God's mighty spirit, he opened your heart to believe. And you reached back and you took it. This wonderful gospel and word of God and you and I are running our leg. We're running our leg. And along the way, maybe we'll have the opportunity to say, stick, 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 and pass it on. One more, whenever I teach 2 Timothy, Flanders Fields, some of y'all will remember that, written by John McRae. I think it was World War I, a battle in Europe in a place called Flanders Fields. Terrible rainstorm, muddy, and Canadian soldiers gave their lives in the fight. And McRae wrote this little poem as if he were one of the dead soldiers who had just given his life for the cause. In Flanders' fields, the poppies blow. Between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard among the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you with failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, 
We shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bless you that that the gospel has come to us and that by your grace we have believed and have been forgiven and made a part of your family. We are safe and secure in the goodness and the glory and the love and the kindness of our God through the gospel. And Lord, this gospel has been entrusted to us. Not only a message that we are meant to believe, but a message we are meant to retain and guard and entrust to others. In 2022, would you help Redeemer Community Church do that more than ever, far and wide. God, would you expand our opportunities for ministry? And I pray for these brothers and sisters here that they would with passion look for places and opportunities for themselves to entrust what's been entrusted to them to others. And they would do it with joy. They would do it with, we just can't wait to do it. Maybe it is back there in kids' ministry that they just would love to take the word of God and the gospel and entrust it to some kids. Or lead a community group or lead a, an RSM group or say, I'm gonna disciple somebody this year. I'm gonna meet with them on a weekly basis, and I'm going to take what you've taught me and I'm going to entrust it to them. Lord, give us more and more of those kind of opportunities. And help us. Because we're afraid and we don't always know what to do and all that stuff. But you, what's the famous little phrase? You don't call the equipped, you equip the called. And no doubt, if, if we will respond to your calling upon our life, then you will help us along the way. Give us courage, give us faithfulness, perseverance, and an excited sense of expectancy that not even death can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will see you face to face. We will receive the crown of righteousness and we will be welcomed into your eternal kingdom. Praise God. Bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.